in the movie Aladdin, Aladdin found himself stuck in an underground cave. There in this cave, he's found this magic lamp, and as he rubs it, lo and behold, a genie pops out. And the genie informs Aladdin that there are three wishes that are coming to him. But he gives Aladdin certain stipulations, certain laws, certain rules that he can't use these wishes for, can't wish for more wishes, can't make anybody fall in love with you, can't bring anybody back from the dead. But Aladdin, he's a clever, sly guy, and he begins to try to think, maybe these laws, these rules, these standards, these stipulations don't apply fully to me. Surely they might apply to other people, but surely there's got to be loopholes in there. I mean, it doesn't exactly apply to that full extent. So he begins to think and think. And he comes up with this idea. And he tells the, the genie, why in the world would I want to uh, use you as my genie? I don't even think you even have the power to get us out of this underground cave we're buried in. And the genie says, well, you just watch this. And they hop on the magic carpet and out they burst. Out into the middle of the desert. And he's free. And then the genie says to Aladdin, all right, there you go. Now you have two more wishes. And Aladdin looks at him and goes, uh-uh-uh. I didn't wish for that. You did that on their own, on your own. The genie stands there a little dumbfounded. And he reminds Aladdin, no more tricks like that. No more loopholes. You must follow the rules and the law according to what it's been given. You see, sometimes, I think as, as humans, as we hear about God's rules, His laws, His standards, we can respond a lot like Aladdin in thinking there might be some people out there that these rules, these laws, these standards apply to. But when it comes to us, we want to begin to look and find loopholes, find exceptions, find reasons why they don't apply to us the way that they apply to everyone else. We've been working our way through a letter in the New Testament, a letter written by a man named Paul. This guy, Paul, is not just any, any guy. Uh, Paul has been appointed by the, the resurrected Jesus himself to be his authorized spokesperson. So, so the, the things that Paul is communicating to the church in Rome and communicating to us we are to receive and hear as what they are, not just the words of man, but as the word of God. As he's instructing and explaining to us the, the truth of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And what Paul has been laying out for us in the last few passages we've been looking at is in order for us to understand the extent of how good this news is that Jesus came, it's important that we understand how bad our situation is. As Paul has been laying out for us how uh, bad our rebellion has been, how much we are sinners, and how he's been announcing and proclaiming that the judgment of God is coming. The righteous judgment of God is coming against sinners. In fact, 
we saw last week in verse 5, Paul says this, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment, on the, on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God's righteous judgment is coming. His punishment for sinners is certain. Are there any loopholes? Are there any exceptions? Is there any way that we can escape this sure and definite judgment that's coming? It's this kind of thinking that Paul is seeking to to, to put aside as he's seeking to explain and lay out why it is necessary that the gospel, which he described and told us, is the righteousness of God revealed, the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, why this is important and why this is necessary, why it is the best of news. So if you would, look with me there in your copy of God's Word. Uh, We're in chapter 2 of this letter to the Romans. We're going to look at verses 12 through 29 this morning. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 940. So let's hear the Word of the Lord for us. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them, on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, And if you are sure that you are yourself a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Let's pray. God, you know our hearts, you know our thoughts, you know our intentions. 
you know, our desire to, to seek and try to find ways that Your law and Your Scripture doesn't apply to us. We pray that in Your tenderness You would expose those tendencies in our hearts this morning. May we find that Your Word does apply to us. And may we hear the good news and the hope of the Gospel of Jesus. That Christ has come to save sinners. May we look to Him. May we see Him. May we hope in Him. For Your glory we pray. Amen. This righteous judgment that Paul mentioned back in verse 5. It's going to be important as we think about these loopholes that people might want to seek to exploit and find out. It's first for us to understand what, what's the standard of this righteous judgment that's coming. Notice in verse 12, Paul explains that for us. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Uh, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So notice what Paul says. There's, there's only two groups. There's those who have sinned or those who have broken the law and those who have done the law. That's what the standard is going to be. How do you conform to God's law, to His perfect standard. Have you broken it? Or have you kept it? That brings up the question, though. First group. We're going to see Paul looks at two groups. Two groups of people. Those who, who do not have the written law and those who do have the written law. That's the first loophole that we want to look at. The question is, what about those who do not have the written law? If the standard by which God is going to judge all of humanity is according to whether we've kept the law or broken the law, well, what about people who don't have a copy of this law? Who don't know it? Is it really fair for God to judge those who have no copy of the written law of God for them to come before His judgment seat? Surely, there's a loophole for them that this doesn't apply. That there would be a way for them to escape the righteous judgment of God because they don't have a copy of His written laws. How are they supposed to know how to live? Might be the question. Well, notice what Paul says. In verse 14, For when Gentiles, those would be non-Jews, who do not have the law, meaning the written law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Notice, notice what Paul is saying here. There is no one who is not aware of what God requires. Even if you do not have the written law, 
That doesn't mean you do not know what the righteous judge requires of you and how to live out your life. We've already seen Paul beginning to build this case earlier in the book of Romans. Remember what he said, there is no human who has ever lived or ever will live who does not know God, who does not know that He exists. It's evident through God's work of creation and who we are that there is a God. We just refuse to to acknowledge that truth and we reject it. But Paul goes even further here. He's saying there is not a human around who is not aware of what God requires of them and how to live. They might not have the law that was written initially on stone tablets that we affirmed by our faith this morning, or that was more explicitly laid out for the people of God, written in the first uh, in the books of the law, in the, the first five books of the uh, the Old Testament. But notice where Paul says the law is written, that the works of the law are written on their hearts, on the hearts of humanity. You see what he said there? They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. We Paul's saying, look, look around at humans. We aren't as bad as we could be. There are humans everywhere who do things that if you were to read God's law and then look at their lives, that they in some ways reflect some of those principles, some of those things, that the priorities of God. I mean, everywhere. Look at societies all around where it is valued by cultures and societies not to kill other people, not to steal, to be honest with your words, to not take life unjustly, uh, to, to, to respect the lives of other people around. Uh, Paul is saying those, those things aren't just happening. They aren't just a, a product that, that humanity's just kind of figured out. He's saying he's written it and written those works on the hearts of all humans. And humans know what is right and what is wrong. In fact, he goes so far as to say, humans everywhere at times feel this pull in their hearts of in moments here and moments there of whether they should do the right thing or the wrong thing. Their conscience is in turmoil among them. They know that there are times where they have done the right thing. Notice, Paul says there will be times when your conscience will enable someone to to have an excuse. Or to say, hey, yeah, you know what? In this time, I did the right thing. Uh, Somebody was, was seeking to lure me to be unfaithful to my wife, and I didn't go that way. I turned around, and I went home, and I avoided it. That was the right thing. It was the right thing. But notice what Paul also says. Your conscience will bear witness. We're talking about being in a courtroom, this righteous day of judgment. Your conscience will bear witness and will accuse you. Because in all of those moments, not every time have you done what you knew was right. The feeling of guilt that humanity has confirms that we know we do wrong. Now, from the perspective, sometimes it comes up as, well, I haven't done what somebody like Hitler has done. 
Notice that's not the standard. The standard is not you being compared to somebody else of whether you are better than them or worse. The standard is how do you measure up with God's perfect standard of His law that is written on your heart and that all humanity knows what is right and wrong. If you've broken it, then you deserve the righteous judgment of God that comes to one who has broken His law. Notice what he says up here in verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. That's language of judgment. Notice God isn't going to evaluate those who don't have a copy of the law based on what was written out in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. He's evaluating and He's judging them based on what they know and what the Scriptures tell us they know is the works of the law that God's standard requires. And if you've broken it, you will face judgment. This this means that if if those who, who do not have the law have broken its its standard, then the only hope for them is that they would hear and know of one who has lived out his life before God perfectly. The only hope they have is redemption and salvation. There is no loophole because they don't know about the written law of God. They stand judged and condemned before God. The only hope is that they could be found And what could be credited to their account would be one who has perfectly completed the law. And do you remember what Paul told us in the beginning of chapter 1? The good news of the Gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, both to the Jew who has the written law and to the Gentile who doesn't have it. And what is the good news of that Gospel? That the righteousness that comes from God is being revealed. That you can be found, remember, with the the righteousness of Christ credited to you through faith in Jesus. And in that righteous day of judgment, one who looks to faith in Christ can be saved. But that brings up a question. But, But what about those who haven't heard of Jesus? Is it fair of God to judge and and punish them? To send them to hell because they haven't heard about the good news of the gospel? I mean, think about when Jesus took on flesh and came to earth. It was over 2,000 years ago in some small backwater town in the middle of Israel. How many people heard about him in that time? Very, very few. Language, news began to spread, but there's people all over the world and throughout space and time and history that haven't heard that good news. Is God really fair to judge them for not hearing the good news of the gospel of Jesus? Notice what Paul says. They will not be judged because they didn't hear the gospel of Jesus. They'll be judged on whether they violated God's law or kept it. The standard is the law of God. Everyone will be judged based on the knowledge that they have. And what Paul says is that even those who don't have a written record of the law will stand justly condemned because God has revealed the law to them by writing the works that He requires on their hearts. There is no loophole. 
Ignorance is not a reason to be able to come before the Lord and say, but I didn't know. God will say, you do know. And you did know. Because He even knows. Notice what it says that Jesus will judge. God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. God knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our intentions. And remember, the standard of God is to love Him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. To love our neighbor as ourself. Who has done that? No one. So there is no loophole for the one who does not have the law. But, but what about those who have the law? What about those who have the written law? They've been raised with it. They've had it for their entire life. Is, is there a loophole for them? Will they be judged differently? Do they have something to boast about before God? This is the next group of people that Paul addresses. Look in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that uh, one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Here, Paul is beginning to address those who do have a copy of the written law. They've always had it. In fact, they, they, they boast about the fact that they have this law. The Jews, as they're hearing this, uh, as Paul is, is writing to them, remember, Paul was at one time a Pharisee. He understood the heart and the mind of the people of Israel at this time. And how they had distorted and twisted God's understanding for who they were. And they began to look at their possession of the law as a means of which they could boast to God. Did not, did it, did, uh, of all the people of the world that God chose to reveal Himself, it was us, the people of Israel, the children of Abraham. We have the law, they don't. And it is good. And look at us as how we... We've lived it and followed it. We've been relying on your law, God. We boast in it and how great it is. We know what you command of us. We see and recognize that it's excellent. Uh, We've been instructed by it. We've been taught from when we were little to know your law. We can answer questions about it. We can pass tests. Not just that, we're teaching other people. Whether it's the foolish or it's little kids. Look at what we have been doing for you. Surely this means that you wouldn't treat us like you would treat the Gentiles. We have your law. This is a loophole. We've got you. In fact, to see that this is the mindset of the Jews at this time, over in John chapter 5, the Pharisees, Uh, These were the the religious teachers and the instructors of the people of Israel to teach them about the Word of God. 
They love to try to trap Jesus in his, uh, in his teaching to prove him wrong. Uh, they rejected his authority. They rejected who he declared to be. And listen to Jesus' evaluation of what the Jews, many of them at that time, were seeking to do with God's word. This is in John chapter 5, verse 38. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Notice what Jesus is saying. They think that in the Scriptures they have salvation. Not in the God of the Scriptures, but in the Scriptures, their possession of it, and how they are living their lives out and using their good works, their efforts at living the law and boasting of it and teaching it and having knowledge of it that that will be the loophole, the thing that they can pull out to God when He says it's time for judgment. And they can say, ho, 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 look at all that we have done. We have Your Word and look at how we've lived our lives in light of it. But this doesn't really make sense with the rest of Scripture, Paul is pointing out. In fact, the other night, our family, we were, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke and our time of family worship in the evenings. And Greta commented on how the Pharisees a lot of times were shocked at how much time Jesus spent with sinners and couldn't believe, why would he touch this sinner and be associated with somebody like that? And Greta's response was, haven't these guys read the Bible? Don't they know that we're all sinners? She's exactly right. The Pharisees were wrong because they thought just by having the Scriptures, that made them have an excuse or something to proclaim and hold up before God to say, look at what I have. You can't judge me. But this doesn't make any sense, does it? Think about it like this. Because remember, the standard is, have you broken God's law or have you kept it? Think about having... The most powerful liquid poison available. You take the smallest drop and drop it in a glass. And then you start pouring something good in there, like lemonade. I'll just pour a little bit of lemonade in there. Would you drink it? No. What if I keep adding some more lemonade into that glass and just keep pouring more and more lemonade? Surely if I add some more good stuff to it, it would be safe to drink, wouldn't it? Well, no. You see, that poison is deadly. And just having the smallest amount in there, it doesn't matter how much good lemonade you add to it. It still will bring an end to your life. That's what Paul is saying here. 
You either have kept the law or you haven't. And it doesn't matter how much good things you think you've done. How much lemonade you're trying to pour on the poison of that condemnation that God has said, you have broken my law and you stand condemned. It will not change anything. You see, actually, the better illustration would be this. You don't just have one drop of the poison in there. But as the Pharisees and the Jews at that time were trying to pour more and more lemonade into the cup, they continued to break God's law. And so the whole time they're dropping poison in there of law-breaking, law-breaking, law-breaking. God was right. They should have known, but they didn't. And God says, you have my written law. And you know what it commands. You teach other people, yet you break it yourself. And the standard is not, do you have my scriptures, but do you obey them? And you have broken them. Therefore, you stand condemned. There is no loophole for you. Your good works will not merit you anything because you have broken the law of God. Something we might need to consider. As we think about those who... Notice what Paul says. Do you call yourself a Jew? Let's flip it around a little bit. Do you call yourself a Christian? Do you own a copy of the Bible? Maybe not just one copy of the Bible, but a couple of copies of the Bible. Do you read it? Have you learned it? Have you memorized passages of Scripture out of it? Do you think the Bible's good? Maybe you've even thought we should post things like the Ten Commandments in our courts and in our schools. Maybe, maybe you've, you've said, not only do I know the Scriptures and have them, but I've taught other people the Scriptures. Do you know, I've been a Sunday school teacher. Many, many years I've taught people. I've taught little kids. I've taught adults. I've worked at summer camps. In fact, just this summer, I taught at a vacation Bible school, and there are all sorts of kids from our community who came, and I taught them the Word of God. I grew up in Christian school. I went to church. My parents taught me the Scriptures. Do you think God will be pleased with that on the day of judgment? When the evaluation is, have you kept His law or not? God says, if you are resting and depending upon your knowledge of the Scriptures, your possession of the Scriptures, your teaching of the Scriptures, even you seeking to live your life according to the ethical, moral teachings of Jesus, that Paul says that will not remove from you the just penalty that you deserve for breaking the law. The Scriptures will not save. Only one saves. Jesus. And if you've missed the Jesus of the Scriptures, then you are just as lost as one who never had them and rejected Him. Again, what is our hope? Our hope can only be that it's possible that God in His grace and mercy would credit to our account the record of one who has perfectly kept the law. 
that God would say, not just that I forgive your sin, but that as I look to you, I am declaring you to be righteous, to be one who has fulfilled the law. Is that possible? Remember, this is the gospel that Paul's trying to lay out. This is the good news that he's trying to say that when we look to Jesus in faith, the perfect man who always lived his life according to the law of God, who loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, loved his neighbor as himself, he's the one who died and suffered the punishment that we deserve. And by trusting in the the, the perfect life, the death and resurrection of Jesus, his record can be credited to our account. That's the only hope we have. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why Paul is trying to write to the Romans that they would understand this so that they would help him and his mission to expand and proclaim the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles, to people who haven't been reached, because this is good news. That we can be found righteous, those of us who haven't had the written law and broken it, those of us who have had the written law and broken it. Paul wants to see the gospel spread because it is good news. It is the power of God for salvation. Your ignorance is not the power of salvation. Your knowledge of the Scriptures is not the power of God for salvation. It is only Jesus. This is a, something I forgot to mention before. Uh, think uh, about if, if ignorance to uh, the Gospel and knowledge of, of Christ was a reason for a loophole and not facing the judgment of God, then the best strategy in the world would be to never share the Gospel, to never practice evangelism or missions, Because the fewer people who know, the fewer people that can reject, and those who can hold up the loophole of my ignorance. But that is not the case. All who have broken the law will stand condemned by the law. Therefore, it's necessary that all hear the gospel. And that's why we go forth with the good news of the message. That's why Paul is writing to the church in Rome. That's why we share the gospel, because it can save any who have broken the law. But hold on, Paul, the Jews who are hearing this would say. We'll give you that with the law, maybe. But we have one more loophole, our trump card. It's our covenant sign. It's circumcision. Don't you realize, Paul, who we are? The sign that we bear in our flesh that we are the chosen people of God and He has set us apart from the nations, on that day they may suffer that judgment. But we have the sign on us. Will the covenant sign, the sign that God has given to those who are in relationship with Him, will that be the loophole, the exception? to this standard. Notice what Paul says in verse 25. For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code of circumcision, but break the law. Paul's saying, your circumcision is indeed of value, but it does not have value if you think it will remove from you the just penalty for your breaking of the law. 
Circumcision in and of itself will not save and redeem and deliver you from your law breaking. In fact, if you have circumcision and you break the law, it will become uncircumcision for you. Instead of being this sign and this mark of blessing, it will be a place of curse. As you who knew the law, who had this mark in your flesh, still rejected God. Paul's saying the other side is true. is those who, who might not have had that physical sign on them, but who have toked and trusted and rested in the God of the Scriptures, for them that can be counted as circumcision. You see, the, the sign of circumcision was never meant to be an end in and of itself. The sign of circumcision was a sign, and it was meant to point to something. It was a sign of righteousness through faith. It was a sign that as you look and hope and trust in God, that just as the foreskin is removed from uh, the male sexual organ, your sin can be removed and taken away from you. Just as blood is required in that sign, so the blood that God provides will deliver and forgive you of your sin. But you must not trust just in that sign. This, again, is clear in the Old Testament. Look back in Deuteronomy chapter 10. It's almost as if God knew the things that we would try to bring up before Him. This is Deuteronomy 10, beginning in verse 12. Now, Israel, what does Yahweh your God require of you but to fear Yahweh your God? Or, in other words, trust Him, love Him, believe in Him. To walk in His ways, to love Him, to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of Yahweh which I am commanding for you today for your good. Behold, to Yahweh your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet Yahweh uh, has set His heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. But this is where... Moses goes, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your hearts and no longer be stubborn. The sign of circumcision was pointing to something. This outward sign was to point to how they were to respond internally. You must not confuse for the sign that it's pointing to. If you're trusting in the sign to save you, you will be disappointed. In fact, it will cost you your life. Marty works for EMS here in Elizabeth City. Never have I ever heard when Marty and the EMS crew goes out and there's a gunshot victim, mortal wounds, that they drive as fast as they can to the hospital, pull right up to the sign that says emergency room, and unloads the person there and leaves. What will happen if they just leave this mortally wounded person with a sign? They'll die. They will die. Where they need to be is in the emergency room itself. If EMS confuses the sign for the thing that it's pointing to, it has mortal consequences. They will lose their life. The same is true with what Paul is saying. If you confuse the sign for what it's pointing to, that you must look and hope and trust in Jesus, 
the promises of God pointing to the Messiah who would come, and you're trusting just in the outward sign, it will have eternal consequences. And you will lose your life eternally, and you will suffer the judgment of God. Notice again, Paul says that here. For no Jew is one who is one merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The Jews were there confusing it. They were trusting in their circumcision for salvation. And on that day saying, well, look at the sign I have, God. You can't judge me because I have this loophole here. I've got you. Paul says, no. Do we not need to hear the same thing? New covenant sign of the covenant. It's no longer circumcision. It's baptism. Notice, a bloody sign that was just applied to males has been superseded by one that is water. There's no longer a need for blood because the perfect lamb has been sacrificed and it is applied to both males and females. But the sign means the same thing. Righteousness through faith. When you hope and trust and rest in the God who gives you the promise in circumcision and in baptism, you can be saved as you hope and trust in the one that He provides, which is Jesus If you are resting and relying and think that you can appear before God and say, but I've been baptized, you're sadly mistaken. Do you call yourself a Christian and the only thing you point to is your baptism? Or that you take the Lord's Supper? Paul here would warn us, you must not rest just on the sign. The sign was meant to point you to the Savior. The sign in and of itself will not save you. You must rest and trust and hope in Jesus. Remember, the power of God is salvation to those who believe. And the promise that is given is that as we look and hope and trust in Jesus who lived the perfect life for us, we will be counted righteous in God's sight. Again, we touched on this a little bit last week. But if you're here today... And you're you're thinking that what makes you a Christian are the good things that you do, or your knowledge of the Bible, or your baptism sometime in the past. Please do not be confused in thinking that is how God will judge. God judges on whether you've broken the law or not. And the Scriptures say you have broken it. Your only hope is in Jesus. You must look to the one that all of those things pointed to. Or you've missed the point of the Scriptures that you've studied and known. You've missed the point of your baptism. We must all hope and rest and trust in Jesus of Nazareth because our only hope is to be found in Him and for His righteous and perfect life to be credited to our account. Do you know this, Jesus? If you don't, today, let this be the day that you call out to Him to save and redeem you. Because there are no loopholes. You will either stand on your credit and your account and your works, which will receive sure and just judgment, 
where you will stand on the account of Jesus. And only then will you receive blessing and redemption and salvation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We know that apart from Christ, we stand condemned. We thank you that you haven't left us in our sin. We thank you that you've pursued us. We thank you that you proclaim and announce and you have revealed to us the good news of salvation. We pray and ask that today you would apply the words of the Scriptures to our hearts. Maybe not to get lost just in the words or knowledge of them or right theology, but may we be looking and hoping and resting in Jesus and only Him. Amen.